to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord I would lay upon your hearts this morning for our sermon meditation comes to us from John's first letter, chapter 4, beginning with verse 16, as follows. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So far, God's holy word. In the name of Jesus, who is the perfect expression of our Heavenly Father's perfect love for us, dear fellow redeemed. What is love? Victor Hugo says that love is the flower, or life is the flower for which love is the honey. Joan Crawford said that love is a fire, but whether it's going to warm your hearth or burn down your house, you can never tell. Robert Frost says that love is an irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. All of these are very quotable quotes, very pithy, and would go very well on a Valentine's Day card, and yet none of them actually tell us what love is, what it is in its nature and essence. Only scripture can reveal to us exactly what love is, because only in scripture do we find the pure and perfect expression of love that is undefiled by our sinful nature. So we look to scripture today to see exactly what love is, what it looks like, where it comes from, and what it does. And so our theme for today is, love is as love does. First, the love of God for us. And then the natural fruit of faith that follows our love for our brother. May the Spirit guide us into all truth through the careful study and meditation of his word today. We see first and foremost when trying to determine what exactly love is, we see in scripture that it is an action, not mere words. Love is, after all, as love does. 1 Corinthians 13 spells out what it is. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And then this definition of action love is completed for us with verse 16 of our text for today. God is love. God is the source and perfect example of this love as we read about, as we have believed, and as we understand from both the Old and the New Testament. Now this truth is contrary to what many, many people believe that love truly is. The true love of God is shown to us in the New Testament alone, they say. There is no love in the Old Testament. That's all about the angry, petulant God. And this reveals two false notions that we often carry. The first, concerning the two great teachings of Scripture, the law and the gospel, is the misconception that the Old Testament is all the law. That's all there is there. And the New Testament is all gospel. That's all there is there. The second misconception is that there is no love in the law. Now, one will find no shortage of gospel in the Old Testament. You can take Psalm 23, for example, portions of which we just sang in our hymn. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Sounds a lot like gospel in the Old Testament. And then there's plenty of law in the New Testament as well. For example, when Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5 that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This no doubt would have been troubling to Jesus' hearers, as it likely would be for many of us today. The fear that the law brings is articulated. In verses 18 and 19 of our text, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now the fear of torment, or the fear of judgment in the judgment day, that is brought on by the law, which shows us the measure of perfect righteousness that all men will be judged according to on the last day. And the law shows us that's not something we can attain for ourselves. After all, Christ has nicely summarized the law for us in Matthew 22, saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If love is as love does, we have no love by ourselves, because we have not done either of those things perfectly. We have often found many other things to hold more dear in our hearts within our sinful flesh than the Lord, whom we are to hold dear above all else. Money, pride, power, entertainment, recreation, all of those things have probably had a rotation over the years, taking the top spot on our priority list more often than we care to admit. 
And our neighbor all too often takes a back seat as well for all those very same desires. Now, God did not give us the law and show us this truth in order to show us the path to salvation through work righteousness. He gave us the law in love to show us our sinfulness and our great need for deliverance. It isn't a love that maybe we would describe as joyful or fun, but perhaps we can better understand it if you've ever had a mother or a father or teacher, coach, some kind of supervisor who ended up disciplining you and giving the reasoning that I'm doing this because I love you. My earliest recollection of hearing that phrase was after I'd bit my sister when I was seven or eight years old. In our household, the rule was that if you bit a sibling and there were teeth marks, you skipped any sort of trial there would normally be and go straight to the spanking. As I sat there on my father's lap, tears streaking down my face, the wooden spoon placed on the bed next to me, my father said, I'm doing this because I love you. I wonder if any seven-year-old has ever actually believed that. But I know that no one of any age has by themselves believed it to be true when God has said, I'm doing this because I love you. The law is unpleasant to hear. The punishment of sin is a threat that God's law brandishes adeptly to show us that we have no hope in ourselves. As a result, it drives us to the gospel, the love that God has shown to us in Christ. Love is as love does. It is not mere words, but also accompanying actions. Now, the word used in our text for today, for love, you'll find it showing up eight or nine times. It is always agape, which there's several words in the Greek language for love, but this one means a unselfish, a completely selfless and an unconditional love. It is the love that God has shown to us in Christ by selflessly sending his son to suffer and die in our place. It is the love that motivated Jesus to live the perfect life that we needed him to, and then to take on all of the punishment that our sin had merited. And there was no condition on our part that Jesus should do any of these, as though he only died to save a select few and faithful. He died for all people, despite our disobedience and lack of love for him and for our neighbor. This is the exemplar and the source of all true, pure and, uh, true and pure love that we are also enabled by the Spirit to show. As described in verse 19 of our text, we love him because he first loved us. In fact, if you look through your text carefully, you'll notice that over the first half of it, almost two, the first two-thirds of our text, whenever it uses the word love, it's not talking about our love for God or for our neighbor. It's talking specifically about God's love. 
He who abides in God's love abides in God. God's love has been perfected among us. There is no fear in God's love for us, but his perfect love casts out fear. See, we don't need to suffer torment in the face of the impending judgment day. And it's not that we don't have to suffer that because of our perfect love, but because of God's love that has been perfected among us through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. God's love casts out any fear, any doubt about what the verdict will be when we at last stand before the judgment throne because we have already been justified, declared not guilty. We are not merely the recipients of this perfected love of God in Christ. We are also the receptacles that God has called, that he uses to carry that perfect love to others. After all, love is as love does. And so the Spirit warns us in verses 20 and 21 of our text, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. How do we reflect that love that God has shown us to those around us? Well, we do it the same way that that love was revealed to us. First, with the law. Now, this is a bit of a tricky wicket because most people believe that, again, there is no love in the law. And it's true that there's no hope of salvation in the law, but there is indeed love. Imagine this scenario, for example. You have a close friend or a beloved family member who is suffering from a heroin addiction. Some of you may not even have to imagine that scenario. Perhaps you've run into just that case before. You could say to yourself, well, that's their choice. And the loving thing would be for me to respect and honor their decision. After all, it makes them happy. But I don't have to tell you that that would be wrong. You already know that it is because drugs are unhealthy and extremely dangerous. But this is the reasoning that most of the world today uses when it comes to sin. If God says that I'm supposed to love my brother, it wouldn't be right for me to confront him about his sin and to point it out. God is love. That wouldn't be loving. After all, who am I to judge? I'm a sinner too. I'm supposed to be removing the plank from my eye before I examine the speck in my brother's. And that is true. We need to be applying the law to ourselves as well. But if we use this as an excuse not to tell our neighbor, our friends, our brothers, our family, when they are in error, when they are putting their soul in danger, it's the same reasoning as previously described with the addict scenario. Only in this case, with unrepentant sin, it's much more dangerous. Drug addiction can ruin relationships in this world and can lead to death. 
But unrepented sin ruins our relationship with God and leads to eternal death. Contrary to popular belief, love and tolerance are not the same thing. If you have the opportunity to preach the law to a comfortable sinner who needs to hear it and don't, how can that be described as loving? How can that be reflecting God's love, who has given us the law in order to turn us to repentance? How can we go on and give someone the gospel when they don't realize their own sin, which Christ died to pay for? We can't. It'd be like sending someone to the doctor when they believe that they were perfectly healthy and there was nothing wrong with them. Love is as love does. And sometimes preaching the law is the loving thing to do because it paves the way for the gospel. And how sweet the gospel rings in the ear of the sinner who has been brought to the acute, in-detail knowledge of their own sin to see how deep the depravity and disobedience that runs in each one of us is, and then to hear Jesus say, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What sweet and blessed relief. This declaration of love from God to us and from God, through us, to our brother, we proclaim by preaching both law and gospel in their intended ways, which results in the complete casting out of fear and torment. In hope, each sinner can then say with Paul, Who is he who condemns? It is God who justifies. What now shall separate us from the love of God? Shall persecution, or famine, or sword, or nakedness, or peril, height, depth, any other created thing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Even though we are sinful, even though we have not deserved it, God's agape love shines through our disobedience and gives us the assurance that we have eternal life, that paradise is ours for Jesus' sake. And this is always, always a blessed thing to share. Because justify us, God has. Each one of us declared not guilty in the perfect blood of the Lamb of God. Though we are sinners, we have salvation. In persecution, we have peace. When everything of ours is lost, God shows us his love in Christ. Not just in words, not just in the Bible, a book of scripture that says one thing when God's busy doing another. No, his word is exactly in line with what he is doing. He keeps his promises because love is as love does. He has shown to us his love and he has proved it to us by sending us a savior from sin, which the law has revealed in us, that sin. And we then have the privilege of sharing that love with others, both in law to reveal their sin, and then the gospel 
which washes it all away in the flood of baptism and in the blood from Jesus' hands and feet. It's not always going to be fun, especially with the law part, but it will always be blessed. God's word accomplishes his purpose when we preach the law to afflict the comfortable sinner, and it does cut to the heart. And it accomplishes his purpose when we have the joy of sharing that message of forgiveness and grace to comfort the afflicted sinner. Afflicted sinners like you and me. May the Spirit make us bold to show forth God's love in every necessary way for the salvation of souls. And may he give us the ability and the wisdom to do so in meekness and gentleness, not from a pedestal of righteousness to lowly sinners, but as one beggar telling another where they found bread, showing them Christ, who takes on the heavy burden of sin and in exchange gives us his easy burden of grace and forgiveness. May the Spirit bless us in all of these endeavors as we go out and proclaim his word in its truth and purity. In Jesus' saving name, amen.